0: morning, I thought we would talk about meeting the public, about little relationships. This, of course, would apply if you are in some sort of a service kind of work, such as a waiter or waitress, or if you or if you uh, own a business, or if you're in some way dealing with the public. But, of course, it also applies to all of us as we run our errands and come in contact with people. It applies to the people that you meet here at this church, uh, the little tete-a-tete you have over your donut hole afterwards, uh, these, these little relationships. They occupy a considerable amount of our day, especially if you add in the amount of time that we spend thinking about them afterwards because very often we are disturbed by the way we carried on this little relationship. It hangs on in some way. And we find ourselves going over and over it, revising uh, what we said to this person, fantasizing what we might do next time. The reading from A Course in Miracles pointed out That there is only one self because there is only one truth. And there is a lesson in the Course that I've referred to many times God is in everything you see because God is in your mind. We have to begin to see and experience our one self in order to lose our fear of that reality we are used to thinking of ourselves as a solitary body engaged in very important happenings misused by all of our friends assaulted by every food that's put on the market um, and coming to no good end and we are so familiar with this quite sad miserable picture of ourselves this little something that uh, came out under the glare of the hospital lights because none of you are old enough to have been born in a jacuzzi. Which is is the new thing now. Uh, To be born underwater, you see. (laughs) And that this is uh, where you started in these... uh, There's all this hope in the beginning, and then the hope is dashed, and it's sad. And it ends as painfully as it began for most people. And we are familiar with this. And we've got our favorite chair where we watch uh, Howard and Don and, and so forth. But there has to be more. And there is this nagging memory that surfaces at times. There are times when we find ourselves crying, perhaps, at a very gentle part of a movie, or because some friend reached out to us. Why did we cry, we think, or why did the tears begin to come to our eyes? We wonder, and we push this back down, this ancient memory. Because we know in our heart that there is a place from which we came and toward which we are now heading. We sense a brotherhood and a sisterhood in the little bobbing heads that are in front of you and the the coughs that occur behind you. And every once in a while, we look into these little holes in the front of the of other people's heads and we see something quite familiar terror. <laughs> <laughs> We're also scared. We're also, we, we, we we so we, we huddle in our little cages of dry bones. Them bones, them bones. We huddle back there, peering out at the world, blinking at everything. Learning never to leave your home, never to go outside. It's not safe out there. Lock your door when you go through such and such a neighborhood. And yet this memory keeps surfacing. There is something that intrudes itself upon consciousness. There is this sweetness. There is this love. There is this something that you have all felt. And it comes, and it comes, and it comes, and it calls you home, and it tells you you have not been successful in dividing yourself into millions of warring bodies and sad, short lives, that there is something more. There is a lake, a sea, an infinity of kindness. You do have a father, mother God. You are loved. You have not worn out your welcome. You have in fact done nothing that is held against you because what you did was so silly and took place so totally within a dream and was so completely illusory that it meant nothing. At most it caused a gentle ripple of laughter in heaven. But we feel insulted by this. Surely our sins are being taken seriously by someone. No, we are told, forget all that and come home. Forget all that and stop judging your brother and your sister. When you come to see that you have nothing to fear from innocence, when you wish to talk about and think about only innocence, when you wish to look around this world and see only innocence, then you will be ready for heaven. For heaven is a place where there is only innocence. And it is here. It is before us now. There is no better place to practice the seeing of this one self, this one home, this reality, than in these little relationships that we have, these little encounters, this meeting of the public, the people that uh, that are on the sidewalk next to you, sitting in the booth behind you in and Hagandas, They bought the wrong ice cream. Um, there is no better place. Is this a wasteland? We must examine it. We will not awake as long as we leave anything unattended in this world. Everything is important. There is no place into which you must not bring the truth of God and your knowledge of your one self and of the love that God has for all creation. There is no place where this can be withheld. And if these chance encounters, if your eyes rest upon the masses in some unhappy way, if you find yourself contrasting yourself with how others dress, how they walk, the stories they tell, what they think is important, then indeed, there is a place in your heart where God cannot enter. And this must be open to love and to gentleness if you are ever to awaken from this dream. And so let us talk about these little relationships. Perhaps the greatest mistake that people make in this area is that they try for an effect they attempt to evoke an emotion. They try to get a result. And uh, we have mentioned uh, some of the old-time ways of, overt ways of this coming about, such as uh, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, the best-selling book. And there are so many others now that are on the market and there is so much written in the magazines about this. And much of it is very, very good and very, very helpful. But often woven in to these articles, these little specials, and uh, even uh, in the books at times that we pick up, is one unhelpful idea that is sometimes there in a sort of covert manner, and that is that it is incumbent upon us to make other people smile. John uh, John has learned how to... John, for those of you who don't know, is uh, our four-year-old boy. He has learned how to smile. Uh, This is a very terrible thing if you want to take photographs of a four-year-old boy if they know how to smile. His grandparents uh, came into town uh, these last few days and uh, brought their camera and everything and made the mistake of telling him to smile. John's idea of smiling is to... I don't know quite how he does it, but he manages to actually hide all of his lips. He has no lips at all. (laughs) It looks as if birth, at birth, uh, his mouth was sur- surgically cut into his, into his face. And uh, in addition to this, I told you uh, about a year ago, the rage among uh, two- and three-year-olds was baby talk. Um, and I, some of you remember the story I told about this. Well, he's now progressed from baby talk. Evidently, the rage now among four-year-olds is phonetics. Have you ever noticed that the word phonetics is not phonetically spelled? <laughs> this should tell us something, but it has told us nothing. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, of course, what you do is, of course, you, you sound out each word. Uh, so you have the b, 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 b words like b, 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 baby. And so this is, of course, is the way all the four-year-olds are now talking because this is what's done on Sesame Street and Electric Company and so forth. Well, John uh, occasionally adds this to the smile. Smir, 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 smile. <laughs> <yeah. clears throat> Which is very embarrassing and, you know. <clears throat> Someone says, oh, what a cute little boy. Can I take a picture of him? And then suddenly the lips disappear. Smir, 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 <clears throat> but you don't want to do this. You don't want to try to evoke an emotion in someone else. It's a very unhappy thing to do. Uh, you don't want to try to get people to smile. Um, they may have misplaced their dentures. You don't know, you don't know what's, what's going on there. You don't want to cheer people up. You don't want to in any way attempt to change another person. And yet this is very difficult to learn. It's so deeply ingrained upon us that we are supposed to have an effect in the world and that therefore our spiritual efforts should have an effect in the world. There is no confirmation in the world of the truth of God. There may seem to be, but notice how quickly it comes and how quickly it goes. And notice how dishonest you must be to pretend that there is a consistent effect flowing from your spiritual efforts. There is none, but there is within your heart. And once you begin to look at your heart for the place where you will see the evidence of your efforts, your path will become infinitely easier and so in all these encounters you must learn the basic lesson that has been that must be learned in all aspects of life and that it is in giving and not from giving that we receive it is in the act of opening your heart and blessing not with any particular behavior not with any particular words but with your heart that your advancement takes place and that a blessing is given that may be received because the blessing that is given through purely mannerisms and empty gestures which even hugging and saying I love you can be isn't necessarily but it can be if that's what you're leading with even those things must be very gently set aside for something that is much deeper and richer. And that is a gift that has no strings. Now, I've told you that I've used a little imagery myself that helps me, and I realize that for many of you this would not be a helpful image, but I want to uh, give you this as an example. I sometimes see Jesus standing behind the person, asking me for help, even as He asks you for help. You see, the higher teachers are not in this world, and yet they need anyone who is willing to help in this world. You can find this plea over and over and over again in A Course in Miracles and in many, many other teachings. The higher teachers call out, whether you wish to call them the saints of heaven or the angels of heaven or those who have relinquished their egos, but those who are no longer in the world call out to those who listen and ask for help. And what help do they ask for? that you forgive your brother and your sister, that you be gentle and kind, because this brings God into your heart and therefore into the heart of everyone that you encounter, at least to some degree, even if they are not aware of it. And so it is, in fact, very truthful to see, for example, Jesus standing behind someone thanking you for your efforts. Because you will not necessarily receive any thanks from the individual. So you bless the person who is before you. You treat them kindly. But you expect nothing in return. You expect no acknowledgement, no lightening of mood. You do not expect to be liked. Although often you will be liked more and there will be a lightening of mood. But don't Don't attach any importance to this. Don't think that there is some sort of scientific cause and effect flowing from this or else you will get caught up into manipulating people's emotions or at least attempting to do that. And that is not where truth lies. It is even possible to study techniques whereby you can, more often than not, change another person's mood. But what does this get you? What does this have to do with truth? And does it truly make the other person more peaceful? Does it truly help them draw closer to God for you to do this? Of course it doesn't. So give your gift. Give it for the awakening of the world. Give it for the love you have of your internal teacher. Give it for God. Give it for Jesus. Give it for your own awakening. Give it for your own enlightenment, but expect nothing except the deep pleasure and blessing that you will receive from having given the gift. One of the things that I've mentioned many times here is that everyone will eventually come to the place where they will see that it is not a happy thing to discuss other people's egos. This you can call gossiping or whatever, or being honest. (laughs) It is not a happy thing to discuss someone who is not there. And yet, what do you do since so many people wish to have a discussion like this? You, of course, will eventually arrive at the point where your ego has been so weakened that people will not attempt to do this with you because they will sense that there is nothing in you that will respond to it. There's not a condemnation that will come out. There's not a counterattack. And it is never a good idea to call someone on this and to say, I don't do that, or you shouldn't be doing that, or in indirect ways to criticize the person, such as adding something good about them as soon as they've said something bad. This is not forgiveness. This does not heal. This does not bless. You want no response to the ego. None. You don't want the opposite ego response. You wish no response. And so what do you do when you are being called upon to take sides against your brother? What you do, of course, is that you do not allow your heart to get caught up in this activity You realize you do not have to participate in this and yet you can continue blessing the person before you and you can continue to be peaceful. Now you will not necessarily, can't you see, you will not necessarily receive any credit for this. You will not necessarily receive any credit for not gossiping even though you have not gossiped in the gentlest and most peaceful way that you know how, calling no attention to your refraining from doing this. And so where will the reward come from? All I can tell you is that you will feel, feel it. You will feel a peace. You will feel a growing strength. You will know you have taken one step closer to home. Every time that you do this, you will actually feel better after the encounter a little sure of your sincerity. Perhaps the second mistake that is most prevalent in dealing with the public in these little relationships, aside from trying to evoke an emotion, is attempting to be something that you are not. Now in refraining from attacking You are not attempting to be something that you are not. To attempt to be something you are not is to put on a persona. It is to assume a new self-image and then to attempt to practice it. Uh, Did you remember the old uh, ad on television? I forget who uh, did it. Uh, Some company that said that they listened and then... uh, then they, they, told, they showed classes where they were teaching uh, people how to listen. And then there was a, a man, a central character in the ad, that was listening to everybody. And uh, it was just very fascinating because he had all the listening postures. And he had the listening expression on his face. Uh, now, this is what you do not want to get into. You do not want to have a self-image. And any time that you find that you are standing back and looking at your performance, you, of course, have slipped into this. And you are setting yourself up for this every time you find yourself rehearsing what you're going to say or what you're going to do in an upcoming encounter. This is an extremely prevalent uh, mental activity. You get ready to make a phone call. You know you're going to have to make a phone call. Notice that your mind starts rehearsing what you're going to say. How you will put it. It can't decide on how this should be. Notice that also. It's a merry-go-round. You will think of something and then you will change it and then think of something else and change it and think of something else and change it. There's no rest in that activity. And then you come back to the first idea and you go around and around and around. Or you rehearse how you're going to be at the party. Or you rehearse what you're going to say at the interview. This is not picturing uh, your tone, this is not picturing the peace in your heart, which is a good thing to picture, but this is sort of a nervous tinkering with form, the form of your personality. What will you be like? Be like nothing in the world. You wish to have no identity within the world because you wish to be love and peace you wish to be the coming of Christ. You do not wish to be a holy person in the sense that you now have holy affectations and dress in uh, white cotton linen and wear sandals in a snowstorm this This is not what you want. You call no attention to yourself when you assume the position. Of the advanced teacher of God, because of your gentleness and because of your helpfulness, people tend to find themselves moreities rather than lessities around you. But if you assume some sort of personality, then you will cause cause discomfort, even though there may be some people who will appro- applaud your your per, uh, persona. This church, for example. Is amazingly free of a personality we have no personality <laughs> that church has no personality uh, there are things that we could do to have a personality at this church we could have official greeters now, some people would like this and some people wouldn't. Some people are relieved by the fact that there aren't official greeters. We now have simply the policy that anyone who would like to stand out there and say hello to people is welcome to do that, and there are people who do that, and that's wonderful because it's sincere. They love doing it. And perhaps you will feel welcomed if someone does that. But do but you see, to make this a policy and to assign someone this job. I'm not saying that other organizations shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that the reason that we don't do that here is that it forces someone to be the way they are not. And therefore, there is a certain insincerity and a certain development of a self-image that takes place. If the people who attend this church, and there are people who are now calling themselves members of the dispensable church. We, uh, we, of course, have no membership, but this is inevitable. People will attend, and they will feel a part of this family, this uh, little safari to heaven. And, uh, um, and, of course, they will feel a part of it, and we feel that they are a part of it. Gail and I feel that, that there is definitely a family that is developing here, that there's definitely friendships here, that it has no boundaries, that it is that there is no clique uh, uh, here, but that there is a gentle coming together of a few people of like mind who join hands and help each other. If this group would fulfill my wish, you would not be able to distinguish anyone who attends The Dispensable Church, because it has nothing to do with behavior, what what this church uh, speaks about and what The Course in Miracles talks about. So develop no particular behavior, no particular personality, but do become more peaceful and more kind, and do work as hard as you wish at being more peaceful, more gentle, and more kind. And so the comment that I often do here is, you have no idea how much so-and-so has changed since they started attending the dispensable church. And then I'll ask them, what do they mean by that? Well, they don't get angry as much as they used to. They they seem to uh, go along in a much easier manner. They seem more relaxed, that kind of comment. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing for this to happen. Because this is what we want to happen. We want the transformation to begin in the heart and flow outward in the most gentle, inconspicuous way possible so that we are in a position to help someone else. If you are conspicuous, if you in any way distinguish yourself from someone else, you, of course, are separating yourself from them. You are saying, I am not your brother and your sister. I am. I know more than you. I am further along than you. And how can there be any joining if someone feels that you think that you are different from them? That's why it is never a good idea to take issue with someone else, to argue with someone else's opinion, or to try to talk someone out of what they have decided to do. It is far better to support someone in what they have decided to do and be their friend than it is to point out what we think may be their mistake. It always pushes someone further in the wrong direction to make them feel criticized. It always helps them at least a little to make them feel loved and accepted. So never be what you are not. Never have an affectation. And if you see the signs of having a self image, do everything that you can to very gently and very quietly let go of this and be in the present. To be with this person, not perform in front of them. A helpful image in this respect might be the eye of a hurricane, the calm center of a storm. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this, uh, but it is an extraordinary thing. For example, in a hurricane, one of these tropical cyclones, that there can be tremendous devastation. Entire trees being uprooted, uh, roofs coming off houses, cars being toppled over and so forth. And then suddenly, there is complete stillness, and this stillness may last a few minutes, it may, it may last half an hour, and then the storm returns, an absolutely calm center. There can occasionally be within this calm center a very gentle breeze, but it is, it is almost unnoticeable. It is just pleasant. In the morning, establish such a place for yourself. Create such a room, such a location. This is the purpose of your early meditation, your quiet time in the morning, which should come as, as soon as you as you can have it. If there's something you must do first, then you must do that first. But as soon as you can, create this location it is not too much to actually begin at this point to experience this as an actual place, an actual center in the storm. And it is from this center of peace, this room of light, that you operate during the day. And so in these little encounters that you have during the day, return over and over, to your sanctuary, your place of peace, your secret place of the Most High. This is not a place of aloofness or separation because you cannot be in peace without mentally putting your arms around the people around you. And you cannot be scared without driving true love and affection out of your heart. To be scared is not to be kind. To be at peace is to be immediately and instinctively kind without any thought about it, without any calculation. It can be very helpful if you are in a job where you know that you're going to come in contact with people or you're getting ready to go out and you're going to go to several stores or you're going to be at a party tonight or whatever the thing may be. You're coming in contact with people. It can be very helpful to imagine operating from this sort of state in the situation. It can even be helpful to imagine provoking kinds of things happening to you and responding in peace. This you can do at any time during the day. It is especially good to do it before you enter an activity that you know is going to be difficult for you. It's very helpful to do this in the morning, to simply look over your day and prepare in this way. It puts in place strength at your hand. The strength is now at hand during the day if you have taken the time to prepare yourself in this way. What you put in your mind stays there until you yourself remove it And so if you place the peace of God in your mind in the morning, even if you look away from it, it remains there, and it is much more accessible than if you didn't do that. It, of course, naturally follows that if you are resentful about the people you are serving, if you are in a serving profession, if you're waiting tables or selling clothes or selling stocks and bonds or whatever you're doing, if you're rendering some service of any kind, even if you're counseling, even if you are a therapist in some way, if you are serving someone and you are resentful about the people you are serving, Then, of course, you cannot bless yourself, you cannot be happy, and you cannot heal. And your function is a healer no matter what situation you find yourself. It is only when we forget that and think that we have to buy chicken necks or something, that this is our purpose, that the whole thing changes. If you are resentful about your boss, you cannot heal, you cannot bless. And this resentment will carry into the people that you encounter. If you are resentful about your spouse, you cannot bless the guests who come into your house. Do not be resentful about the people you serve and do not be resentful about the people you work for. And there is a grand tradition of being resentful about employees. Maybe many of you can remember this growing up. Perhaps you had relatives that complained endlessly about the person who came in to clean up the house, or whatever it may have been. We pick this up, and if we become tense, we fall back into the pattern. Everyone is innocent. And resentment is of no help to you. It will not make your way easier to be resentful. So what do you do if you find you are resentful? What do you do if you find you've characterized the people you serve? If you've characterized the people in the office where you work? What do you do? If you see that that thought is there for the sake of the awakening of the world, take care of it. How important is it that this world awake? How important is it that the children of God come home? Is it important enough that you leave the situation and get off by yourself for a second or two and get clear as to what you want to do, what you wish your purpose to be? How important is is holiness to you? Why be afraid of it? Why not give yourself the time to be truly holy and gentle and kind. And so when you notice any of these things, if you can't handle it on the spot, and most of us cannot do that, and break from the situation, get off by yourself for a second or two, or as soon as you can, and become clear as to what you are all about and what kind of life you wish to have. Go ahead and have the kind of life you want. There is nothing that keeps you from doing this except your fear. And what do you have to be afraid of by simply being gentle and kind and at peace and happy? What you may not realize is that a resentful thought is very narrow and confined. But a forgiving, a peaceful, a happy thought covers this world. This is not apparent. As you go along, it will become more apparent that you cannot fill your mind with any aspect of God without having it partake of the characteristics of God, one of which is infinity. Infinity. In allness and completeness. There is no blessing that you take into your heart that does not affect every living thing, and so take the time to be a blessing. It is uh, generally true that the more egos, the more difficult. And so, if you have been in the world, if you have been around a lot of egos, it is very unlikely that you have not been affected by this. And to have some plan as to what you're going to do once you have withdrawn from the world, once you have come home at night, or once you have finished your shopping and you've walked back in the door, or once you have just left the store and have closed the door to your car, and you're in a, a place that would allow for a moment's quiet, It is very important for you to assume that at the level of learning which this church is at, that you have picked up some of the encounter, some of the disturbance, some of the chaos, that it has in some way affected you. This is nothing to be afraid of, but it is something to be aware of, because why be a victim of something simply because you aren't aware of it? And I'm telling you, if you've been around a lot of people, you have been affected by it, and it is best to go ahead and assume that you've been affected by it, and to deliberately let go of it before you continue on to something else. Now, you can use any trick you wish to to do this. I've told you uh, that one of the things that Gail and I do is that we pause before and after each event, and this is often, of course, entailed in a car, so... When we get in the car before we leave, we often pause, and then when we get in the car after the event, we pause before we go on to the next activity. That very simple way of doing it is extremely helpful. If it's a burden to do that much pausing, you shouldn't do it yet. But perhaps you could do something when you come home in the evening, and I'll give you a few little tricks. Use any trick that helps. You can use anything in this world that helps you leave this world. There's nothing untouchable except hurting another person. And so, many of you know a minister here uh, in this uh, town, Uh, and possibly you have heard her say that when she comes home, she takes off the clothes that she has had on, and she puts on a new set of clothes. This is the symbol that she uses to let go of the world. That's very nice. Perhaps you would like to do that. Perhaps that would be a burden to you to do that. It makes no difference. If it helps, and it makes you happy, then of course you should do it. Many people find that it's helpful to To have a glass of water when they wish to clear out their mind, because the water—the symbol of water—is so powerful. It is such a universal symbol. Oh, look at this! (laughs) We had—excuse me—there's a little fluffy dog came right down the middle of the (laughs) thing. That's a good one. You just grab the dog up and let it lick your face. And as it licks your face, you, you picture yourself being clean of all the negative vibes. <laughs> or you drink the water and you see the grace of God pouring through you. You see the water cleansing you. It's just a symbol. There's no magic to water, but it's fine to use a symbol. Anything that you wish to do can help. There is a little image that I like particularly. It's used by the center, uh, the children at the Center for Attitudinal Healing. I think Jerry developed this image. And that is that you... Now, we've talked about this before, but it's been a long time. You reach up. I'm going to ask you to do that. This is sort of fun. Close your eyes. And mentally... You can do it physically if you want to. But at least mentally... Reach up and open your skull. Take your brain out and set it mentally on the floor. Uh, if you want to put a little uh, Job Squad paper towel down there first or something, you can do that. All right. Anything you want to do. <clears throat> Get out the cutting block, whatever you want to do. But you set it there. And you reach over mentally and you pick up a hose that has pure, pure water. Nice. It's a nice temperature. Now, first of all, you look at your brain and look at all the guck that you have picked up. You have, in fact, polluted yourself with multiple judgments as you went through this store, as you went through this day, you made little judgments, most of which were unconscious, but they lodged there as sort of a guck. And you can see it covering your brain now as you look down. And so you take the hose and you wash your brain. You watch all the stuff, all the muddy stuff just float away. You see how that happens? It's just all going away. All the little crevices now are sparkling clean until finally there's nothing left except just one sparkling clean brain. And now mentally, you reach down, pick it up, put it back in your head, close your skull, and for God's sakes, arrange your hair (coughs) now see no one even knew your hair's all arranged they didn't even know anything like that helps you're just letting go of it if you make the effort to let go of it no matter what form the effort takes it works because it is your purpose that heals you and not how you exercise it so exercise it in the most delightful fun way that you wish to Anything that appeals to you is just fine. We're getting toward the end of our service, and I want to uh, just mention a few do's and don'ts in regarding to our dealings with the public, these little relationships. Now. Let me say something that I've said many, many times. Whenever I make suggestions like this, they are not to be considered rules. These are simply the way it usually works. So, generally it works this way, and if you are aware of it, and it is causing you to be unhappy to do this particular thing, then you cannot do it. But to get into some sort of mental state where you are monitoring yourself, And worrying about whether or not you're doing right is not helpful. I hope everybody understands that. These are not rules. You should not monitor yourself. You should not get scared and ask yourself if you're doing it right. I'm simply going to give you a few things, many of which we've mentioned here before, which if you will just allow to sit in your heart, they will guide you, and they're like little seeds that will eventually blossom. Some of these you are ready for and some of them you are not ready for. If you will just let them sit quietly, then eventually they will flower. But if you make them into a rule and try to make your behavior conform to these suggestions, then this will drive all the happiness and the peace out of your life. And when there is no happiness and no peace and no relaxation and no letting go, there is no God. It's that simple. Notice this. When you are anxious, perhaps you will often start telling stories. This is the ego dropping back into its own history. So when the mind becomes anxious, it often reverts to telling what has happened in the past. This is not to be avoided. It is simply something to be aware of. That if you find suddenly you must talk a great deal about things that happened and tell stories, this simply indicates that you have probably fallen back into your past, which is your ego, instead of turn to God and to your place of peace for help. Just be aware of it and you will, of yourself, without any effort at all, return to a truly helpful guide. Because your past and your ego and what's happened to you is not your best place of strength. Let no one think that I have said not to tell stories. I'm just saying that when you become anxious, you may notice that you will do this. Secondly, you may allude indirectly or directly to accomplishments. You may find yourself wanting to other people to know what you do in life or what you have done or what your position is or your job is. This simply indicates that you got scared and that you turned to strength to your personal past, your ego, your identity that you've established in the world. It will not help you. It is not strength. This is nothing to condemn yourself about, and you shouldn't suddenly shut your mouth in the middle of one of these things. Just watch it, you see. You may find that and dealing with people in general, and when you're afraid, you may start asking questions, rapid-fire questions, or a lot of questions. Generally, to ask other people a lot of questions calls to their ego and makes the situation worse. You may feel that you've extricated yourself in some way by doing this, but notice that you have not brought the peace of God to your heart. The general rule is, fill the air with peace. Don't fill the air with words. Another one. You may find yourself displaying your knowledge. You may suddenly find yourself trying to convince someone of a certain remedy or telling them about some article you read you may find that a certain subject has been brought up and you think you know a lot about it. That is your ego. Only your ego thinks it knows more about some subjects than others. But we defend our ego. We defend our specialness. There's nothing to do about that except be aware of it. But if you think you have special knowledge or special expertise and the subject comes up, you will... Tend to rush in and defend what you think is your specialness. you will want to display your knowledge in this area, or you will simply wish to direct the conversation into areas that you think you know a lot about. Don't stop yourself, just be aware of it. Realize that there is a better source of strength than this, and that is Jesus, that is the Christ, that is your higher teacher. That is the love of God. That is your higher mind, whatever you wish to call it, whatever you wish to call that which watches over you and loves you so much and has brought you so far. Do you think you came this far by yourself? That's why you need not fear going a little further. That which brought you this far will take you the rest of the way. So just be aware. Just be aware that you have turned to a rather weak source of help. Another one is, perhaps you will give advice. It is best never to give advice. Ever, ever, ever give advice. Generally, we're trying to change another person's opinion, and this is not a happy thing to do. If someone asks you your opinion, asks for advice... Then you can give it simply. And then shut up. One of the delightful things about Dr. Shom is he doesn't care whether you do what he tells you to do. You can just feel this. He just simply tells you to do it and he doesn't remind you. He doesn't repeat it over and over. He doesn't ask you if you did it the next time you see him. He obviously doesn't care. He has let it go. He did the best he could. It is not helpful to try to badger someone into a a new position. But when we are anxious, we tend to give advice. When we are anxious, we may tend to kid. It is generally not a happy thing to kid someone else. It's not that you can never do this. It's not that it couldn't be delightful, but generally there's a little edge to it, and it causes a little anxiety. And then, as we mentioned earlier, when we are anxious and around other people, there is a tendency in an attempt to get close to the people we are around because we do feel cut off from them, to discuss other egos, to complain and to attack something that we think the other person will agree on. This is not a happy thing to do and the time will come in which you will feel no need to attack anything in the world to point out any fault. Don't stop yourself from doing it. Just watch and realize that perhaps you have not turned to the best possible source of comfort in this situation. So let me end with this. In dealing with people in general and these little chance encounters in serving the people in your job and relating to your boss and relating to all the hundreds of, uh, of faces that we come in contact with, that we see, that we rub shoulders with, keep foremost in mind the unseen holiness within each person. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and watch this final image. There is within each person a brilliance. Perhaps it flickers, but it does not go out. This is the treasure that they have to offer themselves and that they have to offer others. See it now with, it, with each person that comes to your mind. A light, a glow, the part that God made. There is no one that does not have this innocence within them. It is within you now. It is within your parents, your children, your boss, your employees. It's within the low riders that circle the plaza. It is unseen. And acknowledge it now. Say, I honor the child of God that is within you. I know what you will become. I know how hard you have tried. You are my brother. You are my sister. We will someday join hands and walk home together. If you do not realize this now, it doesn't matter. Because I will guard that sacred truth for you. And I will be your friend, dear child of God, No matter what you may say, how you may dress, what words you may use, I will never hold your behavior against you. Because you are beloved of God and your home is heaven.